Hi, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. My name is Will Stockton with Robert Hassler, and we are entering into week 1000 with COVID-19. On Twitter earlier this week, I learned that uh, Mayor Bowser is looking at the data, and if things continue to decline, hopefully in the next five or six days, things will start opening up again. And so as we've been in this time of COVID-19, uh, Robert and I have just kind of gone off and explored a bunch of different rabbit trails, literally a, a rabbit hole podcast on the New York Times. We've tried to talk about church history, um, how we can consider the global church in this time. And so as a, a podcast of Ministry State, we do want to focus on issues of faith and culture and politics, and we'll pick that up next week as we continue. But we do want to focus on one other thing and talk about one thing that we've been really enjoying during this season that the time has afforded us, and that is uh, imaginative literature. And by that, I mean, specifically, Robert's been in the sci-fi world. I've been more in the fantasy world. And a couple, it may have been like a month ago, but the Wall Street Journal uh, in their weekend edition published an article in this review about why now is a great time to enter the Harry Potter world and why Harry Potter is such a good thing to be reading right now. And I had read the first book like two years ago. And I think probably just because of seminary reading and other things that I was doing, I wasn't that impressed with it. Maybe I was being too snobby, but I picked it back up about two and a half weeks ago tore through it. In fact, I was so excited in reading it that I had to slow down because I wanted for my ending of the first book to coincide with the delivery of the second book. And so I, I'm almost through with the second book. Um, I was actually in the ER last night because uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I had my book with me before I left to go to the hospital. I made sure to grab Harry Potter year three off of my shelf and then rushed to the car to get out. But Robert, uh, what are you reading right now? What's, what's your uh, literature escape? And, and I think we'll talk about a little, like, is it even escapism? Can you yeah. consider this escapism? Yeah. Well, I mean, we can get to that. We can't just, we can't just zoom over the fact in the hospital. What happened? I don't know if the story is embarrassing or not, but I was, I was washing my favorite coffee mug, excited about using it this morning. And it slipped from my hand. It broke on the edge. My pinky got cut between it. And anyways, it was a real, real mess. And um, went to the hospital. I got five stitches eventually, which wow. is the the pain has gone a lot. But I was sitting in my hospital bed reading Prisoner of Azkaban. And I knew <laughs> that I had a good physician's assistant because she walked in and I didn't even hold up the binding. She just recognized the book and said, oh, Harry Potter year three, aren't they great? And I was like, <laughs> I come to the right place. And I said, yes, they are so wonderful. So that, that's that was, awesome. That's my story. Uh, and I'm sticking to it. Well, I'm glad you're, you're better today and I'm glad you got stitched up. When I got the text at 4.30, I was very, uh, very scared. But I don't know if I was more scared, the fact that you would just text me that you had just gotten out of the hospital, or that you were more scared that I immediately texted you back at 4.30, because you were like, why are you up right now? And then, I had, to, and then I had to explain to you that I'm an insomniac. But I th feel like this is, this is good, because you know, your hospital trip, you get a lot of time to read. I'm an insomniac. I get a lot of time to read. I have been reading Dune. Uh, which is a great science fiction novel uh, written in the 1960s. 
uh, by Frank Herbert. I love sci-fi. I love all types of sci-fi, whether that's written form like novels or uh, TV shows or movies. That's just something, one of those weird hobbies that I have. Um, and then this summer, uh, my seminary took sort of a, uh, a lull because I'm only taking one course. So I had the time to, to read some more sci-fi. So I ordered uh, a few books and, and got started on Dune. I've just been absolutely uh, loving it. It's been recommended to me by a lot of friends, similar to probably with you and Harry Potter, just a lot of people being like, you need to get around to this. Uh, so finally picked it up and just been absolutely enjoyable for the last a week or so. What is the storyline of Dune? I've heard about it a lot. Like so many people have told me about it and I recognize the title, but I've never read it. So Dune is a lot like, oh man, I don't want to like, you have to be really careful about what you say about Dune because it's got a serious fandom behind it. Like you don't want to offend anybody, okay. right? Um, but I think if you were just kind of speaking to the, to the con, uh, Dune feels sort of like um, Game of Thrones in the sense that it's about families strong families that are sort of vying against each other for political power within the greater universe. It is also a story about class systems. It's a, it's a story about uh, religion. Uh, it's a story about political power. And that, that's really what's going on. The, the real story beh- uh, line is behind Paul, who is sort of this, uh, he's a 15-year-old boy. He's the, the son of the duke. Uh, and it's really about his progression as sort of this this messiah figure for the local people of the planet that they end up moving to to harvest the spice. And there's a is a whole bunch of stuff, but it's really a kind of a, a classic hero story. So it adopts a lot of themes from archetypes and other literary traditions. Oh yeah, one thing that I do really like about it is a lot of the theme with a lot of Christian and biblical imagery. Right. And so it's been, it's been really fun to read it with that in mind. I've noticed the same thing in Harry Potter. And I remember when I was a kid, Harry Potter came out and I remember my being in the car with my mom and the Christian radio station was on. And the, the, the line from the, the radio host was kids are reading now more than ever, but is it a good thing? Cause it's about a wizard. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, well, I think it was, to be fair, I think it, I don't know where it came down. I, my, I know my parents weren't super into it. I think now they love it and think it's great. I've told my, my mom and dad they ought to read it. I think they would really enjoy it. Uh, I think they're a little probably apprehensive. But what I found is that it's really nominally, <laughs> this, this means anything, nominally witchcraft and nominal witchcraftum in that they, they use these names to provide a world in order to use these themes and discuss them with their characters and it's not actually about witchcraft. I mean, they celebrate Easter for goodness sakes right? in the first, first book. But I was incredibly moved, especially in the first one when Harry is protected from Voldemort by the love that his mother had shown. It, it right. was almost like an imputed love that was cast over him and just right. fantastic imagery. And the, the picture of the Dementors in the third book, it seems very much about, powers of darkness and that it is about sucking life out of people and joy and happiness. And I think that is a good description of what the enemy seeks to do is Jesus. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The, the enemy is doing the absolute opposite. I just finished my apologetics course uh, at seminary and my professor uh, is this great guy. 
he's from England, so I, I won't try to imitate his his accent. Uh, but oh, dude. come on, he, I can't do it. But in a great way, uh, we were talking about apologetics through literature, and so of course you're going to talk about Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, but I thought he was pretty bold by looping in Harry Potter and talking about J.K. Rowling in there, and he brought up the point that. Uh, when he first read the books and he realized that the highest virtue in Harry Potter is, is sacrificial love mm. uh, in a great line. He said, this woman is not far from the guff. I, th- I think that there's a problem. There's a lot of truth in that. Yes. And she's absolutely brilliant to do what she's done. And um, it's not fair to compare it to things like Lord of the Rings. It does it serves a very different purpose, but as for an imaginative world to go into and to use the categories that she considers to bring them in to this world. I, I just finished Joseph Lacante's book, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, where he talks about Lewis and Tolkien in World War I, their experience. Tolkien was a, a Christian going into there. Lewis was not. He was an atheist. Lewis obviously becomes a Christian later on. But they use their experience and the things that they learned in the trenches to discuss human virtues that are needed and essential for life to survive and mentioned escapism earlier. And Lewis would push back ardently on escapism. For him, it would be, no, these stories, fantasy is the medium which carries uh, an understanding of what it means to live well and live fully in this world by envisioning and imagining the world in a certain way, which is what we all do anyways. When you bring up escapism, it's interesting to me that that is, that's something that might be leveled at uh, literature uh, because great literature, you know, the one thing that I, the one thing that I've noticed with Dune and then it's, it, it you know, I, I've read the Harry Potter books a long, long time ago. I need to reread them. You, you've gotten me so excited about them now that I think I might pick them up. Oh, you've got to read them. You've after I'm done with them. Dune. But it seems to me that a very similar theme with all of these books is uh, just the amazing world building that goes on uh, yes. by the authors, just the, the amount of detail that is, that is built into these, these settings. And also common to me is the incredibly hard decisions that characters have to make throughout the series. And that, to me, is an indication that these authors are not engaged in a practice of escapism. They, they want to engage really hard questions. They're not trying to escape. They're trying to understand more fully. That seems to me to be the, the issue in Dune right now. Characters are very complex. There's not a lot of simple uh, characters. Uh, and so it spent, you have to spend a lot of time unraveling their decisions and figuring out why they made those decisions. And really at the end of the day, it's a, it's a lot of reflecting on your own life and how they're not always black and white and how there's a lot of complexity in life. And so to the level of escapism at, at some of these novels just seems to me to be a little bit uh, ridiculous. Yeah, one of the things that A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and a Great War points out is the difference between Lewis and Tolkien and victories achieved in their books, whether it's The Lord of the Rings or The Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, like a modern-day superhero or a, um, like a Batman-type figure who we can argue whether or not he's a superhero at another point. But in Lord of the Rings, the ring is destroyed not by some heroic valor of Frodo. And yes, Sam is strong and he is just this wonderful hobbit who allows the ring to be destroyed, but it was an act of grace through an act of violence through Gollum that the ring is destroyed. And there's some grace that has to intercede where Gandalf says, I have some thought that he has some role to play in this and I don't know what it is yet. 
and you see that there's there's this idea of look we can try to do the right thing but we are weak and there are hard decisions and we have to rely on grace for for our survival and for things to be able to transpire for good so this would be an interesting question i think because if people aren't reading as many great epic novels anymore they're certainly tuning into movies and and those tend to be like the marvel films do you think I mean, I, I don't know for you, for you, but a lot of those films tend to miss the mark for me because it's exactly what you're talking about, which is the, sort of the, the, the rehash story almost feels like of every superhero movie is that the superhero is so great and noble within and then that ends up conquering the, the evil in, in the end. And it's just really hard to identify with that story. It's way easier to identify with Frodo and Sam, Paul from Dune, uh, even Harry, who uh, my understanding in Harry Potter, which you, maybe you can speak to this a little bit more. But... I would speak to it if it's incorrect, most certainly. Okay. So, but like even Harry is not sort of like a perfectly well-formed character at the beginning, right? There's a lot of ed- learning that has to go on before he's really ready to face the villain. Yes. She does a wonderful job of developing him. I mean, he's excited to be valued, which I think a beautiful theme to know that he has a purpose and a calling, but what it looks like and whether he can do it. And does he have the courage, the fortitude? But also needs a lot of help from friends. Yes, absolutely. Which is a wonderful theme that Lewis and Tolkien also pick up on is the importance of friendship. It's interesting that you mentioned the Avengers series to go back to World War I again. At the end of World War I, right before World War I, there was so much hope and belief that humanity was moving towards peace. I mean, the myth of progress was stronger than ever right before World War I. Both sides, every side going into the war was convinced that they were going to win in six months, that the technology, that the science that they had behind them was going to lead them to ultimate victory. And what happened? It was absolutely devastating, catastrophic, violent, horrible things transpired. And the belief in man failed. I mean, people were so despondent. We have the lost generation as a result. You have people like Ernest Hemingway, T.S. Eliot, who became a believer, uh, Virginia Woolf, Gertrude, all these, all these writers that are not super optimistic. And I wonder, you know, we look at our world and we love Avengers and Marvel, but they really are pull themselves up by their bootstraps type people, which is a positive virtue. Resilience is a very powerful virtue and thing to have, but we cannot do it on our own. We cannot be left to it on our own. So we have this simultaneous thing where our superheroes are their own, you know, wonderful people while uh, at the same time, we're, we're so frustrated with our leaders. And anytime we see weakness, we can't accept it. I thought it was interesting. R.R. Reno posted a something on Twitter that just got blasted by everybody. He's the editor of First Things. I think what he said was inappropriate, but at, like a week later, he just admitted an apology. He submitted right. an apology to First Things. And Jonah Goldberg, who was critical of it, he published the apology. And I think that was a really powerful statement to say, look, he was wrong. And I'm going to, by grace, because of his apology and to forgive him, and we're going to move forward. But we don't have much room for that. Otherwise, when we expect for people to be superheroes and to have no flaws. No, that's, I, think, I think you're exactly right. I think it's interesting that in times of pandemic and crisis, you know, people want to sort of turn to the superhero movies, but they, they don't quite fit with the moment. And so it's interesting that people just continue returning to a bunch of people picking up Harry Potter. I know a bunch of people picking up uh, Chronicles of Narnia right now. 
it just seems to me to be interesting that that's not, even though that is really an American myth, the superhero, it's, it's just not something that really fits well with in times where we're really acutely aware of our weaknesses. Correct. It doesn't leave a lot of room for that. And you wonder, well, I could never be a Captain America. So what is that? What, what value is this for me? As we've been talking about imagination, I thinking of Lewis's quote, or it's kind of a summary of his quote, but he said that reason is the organ of truth and imagination is the organ of meaning. Mm-hmm. And that reason allows us to know what is and if something is true or false. And then imagination allows for us to take those truths between our head and our heart to create a nexus, this intersecting point that is the imagination, and then put it out in the world so we can figure out where we're navigating. And I think the stories we read, the the narratives we listen to, the news we watch and read and hear, those shape the way we're imagining and picturing the world. This is the famous Charles Taylor social imaginaries that we live in and walk in. Um, and so I, I think in this time, wondering how are we imagining our world and what are we imagining is true and what's the story of which you're a part is, is very formative and going to be pretty, pretty determinant of how we act and respond to crises around us. I think it's interesting that in sort of these moments, right, this one in particular, a pandemic that is very scientific, right? There's a lot of data points. And at the same time, you realize that there has to be, there's, there's got to be something more, right? There's, you can't just take the data points and, and then that creates, you know, the answer or gives you your solution. There's a lot of other factors that go into it, right? And so it's, you can pick up from reason, you know, okay, science tells us this and that and this and that, but what about this circumstance or what about this situation? You really have to apply the reason uh, in a way to sort of get at what's best for human flourishing. That's something that literature does really well mm-hmm. is it sort of helps us uh, figure out what do these things look like out in practice? How do you, if, if you took this axiom all the way, you know, where does it lead? Um, and you can see that with a lot of different characters and a lot of different novels and, and stories, right? Great leaders who have been put into positions uh, to lead nations and peoples. When you try to figure out what sort of what formed them, what shaped them, you'll always find something that's maybe seems out of place on the surface. When I think of Abraham Lincoln, a lot of people like to look at Abraham Lincoln. What was, what was influencing his way of thinking about governing when he was president. And so they try to, you know, which manifestos was he reading? What political theory was he reading? Well, actually, in reality, most of what Abraham Lincoln read was Shakespeare, right? Like that's how he formed his way of thinking and saw himself in his moment. And so that's really something that imagination does better than I think anything else. And of course, the greatest example of this, right, is, is Christ. You know, Christ, he has a sermon on the Mount, right? He has his, here are the, here's the axioms, like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, right? But then when people come with questions, there's a lot of parables and stories. And and how does that look in, in, in practice? And I think when we think about how do we look at our lives, how do we shape our narratives, looking to Christ is, is, a, is a good example of somebody who applies both reason and imagination is good for us. Yes, I agree. I agree. And to think of Christ when he was walking on this earth, him saying that I only speak the words that my father tells me to speak. And this concept of 
what the nerdy term is the pactum salutis this before the beginning of the world the father and son coming together to rescue the world from sin and from that moment all the way on to the incarnation and through the ascension that's what he was waiting for and living in and there's this great scene at the end of lord of the rings i've also been audiobooking lord of the rings right now when i've been walking around and sometimes i'll audiobook and read at the same time which is a very immersive experience but in the return of the king aragorn stands up and he is tall and mighty like one of the ancient of days and kings of old but also a man who's flowering as a king and faramir says well everyone else is in awe he says behold the king and he it's this incredibly powerful moment where we see this grandeur and all that was hoped for all of the i think all of the the, the fighting and the bloodshed and the loss starts to make sense i'm like oh now we have a king who's back a good king and story and imagination help help me picture and wait for that well robert uh man i love nerding out on this stuff and once i finish the next i'm almost done i got 75 pages of book three then i got the next four books to read once i'm done I'll, i will give you my final synopsis on it and let you know let you know what i think but i'm, I'm pretty giddy about it i think i'm going to pick up harry potter uh, here pretty soon I want to get through my Dune. I want to get through some some other science fiction. So much good stuff out there right now. And I, I think what you mentioned at the beginning, just this time being a, a special time to really dive into that and uh, explore new worlds uh, and to really uh, immerse ourselves in those things, I, I think is always good as we find lessons to, to apply to our, to our time today. And hopefully allow that to carry with us when, when things change. And remember that the story, there are new chapters and new paragraphs, but uh, it's still this world history story that God is telling and that we're a part of and how we figure out where we belong. Well, Robert, thanks so much. Love talking. This is wonderful. And we will be back next week for another episode of The Will and Rob Show. You can follow us on Twitter at Stockdale Will. And Robert, remind me yours. R.D. Hassler. R.D. Hassler. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you all next week.